are listening to First Church Charlotte. Those of you joining us online, we're honored to have you worship with us for a little while. Uh, this morning, I leaned over during the service and I told my wife, I said, well, if, if you have a word, I want you to go ahead and give it. And uh, boy, did she ever have a word. I think what needs to happen is I need to take advantage of vacation and leave her with the kids. And let her just take care of the whole thing, and I'll go to Hawaii or something. I mean, I, I feel like there's some leading of the Spirit there. Yes, Lord, thy servant hears thee and wrote it down. First Peter chapter number 2, verse number 9. I love this passage. My title today is Living with a Fake ID. Or, let me say it this way, don't live with a fake ID. First uh, Peter chapter 2. Uh, verse number nine, you are a chosen people. Somebody say yes. yes. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I love that. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You've been adopted. You've been included. You've been given his name. You once were a rabble, you once were a crowd, you once were a mob, but now you are a people and you have God's name upon you. And again, I say amen. <laughs> once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So talking about living with a fake ID here for a little while, let me just echo what my wife said. Honored to have uh, Nicole White with us. She is a friend, and her, she and her husband are building a great church in Conway, South Carolina. Uh, so on, onward into the scripture here, uh, we are all of us tempted to build our life upon uh, identity that is not really who we are. Uh, we use identity as a way of uh, declaring the self, and we also use identity as a way of hiding the self. You use identity to control what other people think about you, and you also use identity to lie to other people about who you are. And this, on one level, is just a human thing. All of us want to be viewed in a positive light. All of us want to have as high, shall we say, status among our peers as possible. All of us want to do well. This is just what it means to be human. If anybody tells you otherwise, you should suspect uh, they're not being completely honest with you. All of us seek to know and be known, and our community, our identity, ourselves are in some way created out of those connections with other people, uh, places of being and identity within our life, and we gradually assimilate for ourselves a personal identification who we are, where we came from, where we're going, how we're dealing with it all. There is a phenomenon of the fake ID, particularly among college culture. You start college before you can legally join party culture. And so there is this kind of rite of human passage, particularly in the West, where you go to college and you're away from your parents and the temptation of party culture starts. And Hopefully, you had the sense to avoid it because it's mostly a bunch of foolishness. Uh, mostly, it is more stress relief 
than anything else. Um, but there is, to be fair, there is a, this is a big part of growing up in America. And our kids, hopefully, when they come of age and they go to college, hopefully they see through that party culture and they see it for what it is. Uh, they see the posturing that's in it. They see the, how shall we say, the fakeness that can be uh, in it. And they have an identity founded on something stronger than party culture. Can I have a big amen? Uh, but there, it's a real phenomenon. And if you aren't 21, you can't legally drink. Uh, but you still are in college, 18, 19, 20, and you many times are tempted by this party culture, so you need a fake ID. Now, if you get one, some of you guys may have uh, got a fake ID growing up. Uh, it's pretty easy to get a fake ID now. There's companies primarily in Asia that will sell you one online, and you give them your credit card, and they send you a fake ID, and then a few weeks later, they buy a bunch of stuff on your credit card to steal your identity. But Anyway, if that's what you're into, you should consider it. Pretty easy to get a fairly high-quality fake ID nowadays. Uh, there's just some risk that goes along with it. But I want to be, be perfectly clear and transparent to all of you. Um, the reason why uh, society has made limits of age and lifestyle choices like drinking and smoking, the reason why is... Uh, millions of people have lived this story. It's not just you. And we have all learned as a society that you tend to make a lot of bad decisions if you have access to certain lifestyle choices before you have the maturity to make those decisions. Uh, that's the, that's the non-religious, non-preacherly explanation. This is like me just talking to you as an American citizen. Millions of people have done this, and there tends to be a lot of mistakes made by people who are given access to party culture before they're a certain age. There's still a lot of bad decisions made after, but it's really bad if you try to fake it before you are ready. And so the reality of living with fake ID is basically this. Life now gives you tests you're probably not ready for. That's the reality of a fake ID. You are now given temptations you're probably not ready for. You're now uh, given pressures and uh, the like that you probably are, are not ready for. Imagine a college where you could fake your grade and take senior tests when you're still a freshman. How would that work out for you? Would you do well on those tests or would you have been set up to fail? This is the reality of fake ID in our social world. And if you too young place yourself in these kind of situations, you're probably going to have a high risk of a failure. And now, having talked about a social reality of it, let me flip it to a spiritual uh, reality because this is, this is what we're talking about here today, the reality of spiritual identity. And how do we come to know who we are? How do we figure out where our value lies? How do we sort through all of the distractions, the fears, the insecurities in our life and figure out where um, we should stand, how we should live, what our value is? On the surface, this is a philosophical question and uh, one of the, uh, shall we say, uh, downstream effects of philosophy is a lot of old guys asking, who am I and what does that mean? The philosopher Immanuel Kant's lifelong research revolved around four questions, two of, it, two of which he said you could answer, 
and two of which you could never answer. So I'll give you the four questions. Number one, who am I? Number two, what am I? Number three, what can I do? Number four, what can I know? Here's the interesting thing. He says you might can answer the question of what I can do and what I can know, but you can never answer the question of who am I or what am I? I am not unsympathetic to his point because I think there is an element of truth to the fact that if you only look within, it's really difficult to answer the question of who you are and what you are. And the reason why is you are everyday becoming. You are not a fixed point in time. You are not God. God is not becoming. God is. Before Abraham was, he says, I am. Uh, he is not under time. Time is under him. Uh, he is not bound by time. Time exists within him. We are all of us live in him. We live and move and have our being, but we have to answer this question of uh, who I am, what I am. And if we only look inwards, if we follow the advice of a lot of the human, uh, shall we say, the human story, uh, people look to all of these various uh, solutions, uh, philosophies, uh, various uh, religious uh, uh, paths, various uh, shall we say, even entertainments, experiences, drugs, and you get into this whole YOLO existence, you know, I am my experiences, or you get into the posting how fancy your car is, and now you are what you possess, and then uh, you show all these public display of affections with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and you're now somebody because you have a girlfriend or boyfriend. All of this is part of uh, human striving, and it's all unsatisfying. Why? Because it only answers the question of who you are in time. It does not speak to your soul. Your soul is not in time. Your soul is beyond time. Your soul is the godness of you. The breath breathed into you by God and the living soul. Um, you can try to deal with this in all of the manner of the flesh. Uh, whether it's beliefs, whether it's experiences, whether it's possessions, whether it's fame, whether it's connections, whether it is your own type of uh, Instagram marketing of yourself, but all of those are answers in time, and they, as a result, can never satisfy your soul. Your soul is looking for eternal connection. Your soul is looking for eternal uh, connection. If you look at the world... You find yourself like the philosopher. You can never know who you are and what you are just on the basis of the temporal because it doesn't speak to the deepest part of you. That's why even unbelievers are left with reflection. They're left with a sense of the profound when they consider that which is timeless, when they consider that which is beyond their years. They even so are aware of the smallness of their life and uh, so we end up trying to speak to the soul using the language of the flesh. And then we wonder why we always miss the target. And so we tell ourselves our value comes from what we look like. We tell ourselves our value comes from what we own. We tell ourselves uh, in some type of a cop-out, uh, you know, you try to make the, prob the, the problem just uh, it, it, so infinitesimal it doesn't matter. And you say, um, uh, you're just an animal with free will. Well, that's so broad uh, and so meaningless that it is uh, helpless in every regard to you. Or you go the other way and you say, uh, life has no meaning, you just got to experience what you can. Uh, or, or you turn to the, the victim and you let pain define you. This is who I am. 
uh, you may have survived it and you let that survivor define you and uh, you have value because you survived and uh, or you have value because uh, you won something or you may identify yourself as someone who doesn't win who never wins and uh, all of these are your effort to speak uh, time-based words to an eternal soul these are all efforts for you to answer uh, eternal questions with uh, worldly answers and you're always left like uh, Emmanuel Kant saying, you can never know who you are, you can never know what you are. David, he ponders this, and he's going to ask the same question, but he's going to do it as worship, and he does this for us in uh, Psalms chapter number 8, verse number 9. I'm going to read this uh, for you. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established your strength. You see the contrast here. From the most helpless and weakest, you have established your uh, strength. This is beautiful worship, poetry, and song. Because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? What is man that you take thought of him? Who am I and what am I? The son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty and you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the seas, whatever passes through the seas. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who are you? Where does your identity come from? If you get it wrong, it's going to be a heavy burden upon your back. If you get it right, it's going to be a wind beneath your wings. Who are you? If you get this wrong, it's going to crush you like a stone fallen from heaven. If you get it right, it's going to be a rock upon which you can fall in the storm and be saved. You have to understand this and you have to get it right. Getting it wrong is going to feel like a retreat back to fear. Getting it right is going to feel like a choice of faith. Now remember I said that. I'm going to come back to that. Getting it wrong is going to feel like a retreat into fear. Getting it right is going to feel like casting yourself into a sea of divine love. Did you hear what I just said? Uh, this, is the, this is the central issue of what it means to be people of faith. And this is what God wants us to get right as His creation, but more. As His chosen people, but more. As His sons and daughters, but more. As His friends and as His bride, do you see? He wants us to get our identity. He wants us to see it and accept it. No longer argue with Him about it, but live it as an act of faith. Remember I said said that. To live it as an act of faith. You see, on one hand, you can get your identity wrong by looking at the things of the world and letting that be the establishment of your value. That's one type of wrong. On the other hand, you can get it wrong as a religious function of self-worth and self-value. Both are wrong. I'll give you examples of the unbeliever and the example of the believer in the Scripture. What do you see? In the Gospels, Jesus actually spends more time appealing to people who have got their value from religion 
and their identity from religion than he does appealing to people who get their identity from riches and wealth. Now, he will speak to both sides of this of this road we walk, but if you look at his actual debates and arguments, he will have more trouble with the people who get their identity from religious value than he has with people who get their identity from worldly value. Both of these are wrong. You see, uh, let me try to explain this, and I, I, I want so much, I want so much to, to convey it, and it's in my heart and spirit to convey it so much because I deeply believe if we get this wrong, uh, we miss the life of spirit, the life of worship, and the life of love, and we try to replace it with the life of duty, the life of law, and the letter that killeth, obligation. Uh, this is two different paths of the believer, and this is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about, and many of the talks that Jesus has comparing the way he is leading with the religious elite of the day. And so uh, if you are a seeker of religious value, what you will do is you will miss the point of Holy Scripture and you will think the Bible is primarily about you and what you need to do in order for God to love you. You will have missed the grace of the gospel. You will have missed the Jesus focus and the Christ-centricness of the Bible. And you, you will see the Bible primarily as being about you and what you need to do. This creates in you a life of fear, a life of duty, and a life of obligation. It is the letter that kills, not the spirit that gives life. It is the role of the servant, not the role of the son or daughter. Do you see? And so uh, this is, I have to do this, this, and this. And if I get that right, then I have value with God. And here's the reality. Uh, every church has a slightly different set of things you can do in order to get religious stature, in order to be approved of by the church. You go to um, a million different churches, all of them will have a slightly different set of things you need to do in order to get the approval of that church. But there's a problem, that church did not die for your sins. Uh, it's actually worse than that. That church is going to disappoint you. That preacher who gave you this set of kind of uh, law or rule or duty that you would then live, uh, he didn't die for your sins either, and he's going to disappoint you too. In fact, you may find out that obeying the preacher was not the same thing as having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the appeal, and let me appeal to all of you who grow, grew up in the church or are growing up in the church. It's not enough for your parents to see the beauty of the Lord. You have to ask yourself what that means for you. And whatever that means for you right now, that's where you start in faith. Not where I, as the preacher, wish you were or your parents wish you were, uh, but wherever that you are right there, where that begins. What does it mean for you to see Jesus try to make whole a broken world by giving himself? That's the beginning of faith for you. You see, uh, there's two errors here. One is my value comes from worldliness, uh, wealth, appearance, power, fame. Or my value comes from religion. And if I keep the Sabbath, then uh, I am righteous. And if I, I, I give the right amount of alms, then I am righteous. And if I pray all the prescribed times, this is exactly what Jesus is attacking when he says, when you pray, don't do it like the Pharisees. They're missing the point. Their religion is not what gives 
them value. Come on, let me preach a little bit here today. It's not the religion that gives them value. Don't do it that way. Don't announce when you're fasting. Don't do these things to be seen of men, but rather do it so your Father which is in heaven sees. Both of these are false identities. Here is the temptation of uh, the world. If I have enough money, then I have value. It's a worldly temptation. If I have the right boyfriend or girlfriend, then I have value. If I have the right career, job, uh, then I have value. Uh, That's the worldly. On the other hand, if I have status within the church, then I have value. If I am in the right cool family, I have value. And um, if I got to sing at the right conference, then I have value. And if my sins are private not public, then I have value. But if something bad happens and my sins go public, oh my, my value is going to crash. And uh, then I'm going to have to have this cathartic repentance where everybody knows I know I did wrong so they can accept me again. No, you need cathartic repentance because Christ died for your sins and washed your sins away. Not so you have value among people. I want to say to everyone here in this house today, it is a a church must succeed at pointing you to Jesus, not trying to be your Jesus. A church has to point you to hope, not try to be your hope. A A church has to tell you Jesus is the way, not the church is your way. We come together, not about us, but to talk about Him. So from the first song to the last altar call, it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus when we sing and Jesus when we preach. It's Jesus when we pray and Jesus when we baptize. This is what the church is about. Ye are complete in Him. Now, if you fall into this this, uh, religious type of identity where you get your value because your religion, um, uh, that will give you a certain kind of feeling. Um, If you get your value from the world, it will give you a different kind of feeling. In my opinion, it usually will work out like this. The value uh, the world gives you will uh, end in a sense of futility, and you'll feel like the joke is on you. Um, The value that... That's one kind of wrong. The, the kind of religious wrong is that it will always end in fear. Religious will always end in fear because um, the letter killeth. Um, for the Pharisee church, nobody's good enough, not even Jesus. That's why they killed him because he wasn't good enough. Um, uh, that, that's, that both of these are wrong. Our identity cannot come from the fact that uh, somebody who you have uh, respected, um, they, they now approve of you. That person, if they're a good mentor, is always going to minimize what they have done and maximize what God has done. That's the sound of a good mentor. The sound of a good mentor is not someone who's saying, you should be ashamed of yourself, but saying that Jesus knew about this mistake before you made it and he's still committed to you. So get up out of your error, get up out of your wrong, uh, and start trying again. That's the sound. 
Do you see? Um, both of these are wrong. This ends in futility. This ends in fear. And no matter how hard you try to please the religion, you're always struck with fear. No matter how much you have, you're always ending up with futility. Both of these paths are wrong. My identity does not come because the world says I have value. Watch this. My identity does not come because the church says I have value. Uh, my identity comes because God says I have value. Both the world and the church will let me down. Both my boss and my pastor will let me down. Both this world and my religious friends will let me down. None of them were enough for me. All of them were along the way. But this is where my way has taken me. I only seek Jesus. Him only do I try to please. He's the only one who could die for my sins and wash away my iniquity. He's the only one who can well done my good and faithful servant all right my lord my wife's got me yelling I'm blaming her if you get the source of your value right it'll change everything there was a, a painting um, that was thought in the turn of the century it was thought to be uh, authored by uh, uh, an Italian painter whose name I can't pronounce I tried to pronounce it in the first service it did not go well. Um, uh, he, had, he was a good painter, they thought, talented, and they valued this painting uh, $18.99 at $26. Now, that doesn't sound like much to us, but if you throw in inflation, uh, that means this, this was about $2,800 painting, okay? Uh, 20, right in that range, $2,800 painting. And so uh, for us, you would think, as a solid middle-class painter, you know, they, they can uh, do a limited run of 100 original, you know, prints on it and sell them for about that price. That's a good middle-range, middle, middle, middle middle-class painter, but not genius, not, like, amazing. And so uh, the, uh, BBC, the British uh, Broadcasting Corporation, did a, um, a series on art, and uh, the eye of the arcs, the art expert uh, his name was Gra- Grosvenor. Um, he, during, during the show, he saw this painting and they said it was by this guy named Emola. And um, uh, he, even during the show, he was like, huh, uh, that doesn't look like, uh, that's not, that, I don't know if that is an uh, Emola painting. Um, and he said, and he quotes himself, he, uh, the show quotes him, he said, I thought, crikey, it looks like a Raphael. Actually, what he said was, I thought, crikey, it looks like a Raphael. That was for the kids. Yes, I did that in the 9 a.m. too. Don't even care. No hair, don't care. So um, he said, that looks like a Raphael. And so they started doing research and checking when it was first found, who purchased it, looking at the edges where you take it and you start peeling back off the frame and looking at all the end. Sure enough, this painting they thought that was by Amola was actually by Raphael. Well, let me tell you what happened to the value of the painting. In one stroke, the value of the painting went from $2,600, $2,800 to, you want to guess, $26 million. Had the painting changed? If someone don't give me a maha in this house, I don't know what I'm going to do. Had the painting changed? No. But the author of the painting. I said the author of the painting had changed. Let me tell you a little secret about you. 
The world will say you're worth about $26. The church will say you're worth about 42 But God will say you're priceless. You are my child. I crafted you. I chose you. Don't settle for the world setting your value. Don't even settle for the church setting your value. We don't even know you. But your creator, he knows you. And if he says you're valuable, then you have value. All right, choosing to live this way feels like an act of faith. Um, It it really does. It it feels like an act of faith. Um, Choosing to let other people set our value feels comfortable. We've been doing it our whole life. Um, And we slip into it like your favorite pair of pajamas at your house. You don't even know you have them on. Uh, You woke up and then miraculously you were translated into your favorite pair of pajamas. That's how a lot of us do with uh, value systems in our life. Uh, We don't even think about it. We just, if we're doing good at work, then we have value. If we're doing bad at work, then we don't. (laughs) Um, You understand what I'm saying? Uh, This is uh, the way of the flesh. And uh, this is the most natural thing in the world. To stop that is going to feel like a choice you make every single time you catch yourself down on yourself. It's going to feel like a choice you make. It's going to feel like a decision you make. It's going to feel like an act of faith. More, it's going to feel like as though you stand over uh, a cliff face and beneath you is a sea of God's love. And behind you is all the world's opinion. And you're not going to know your value because just like the world and just like the church, you don't know you either. Your heart is a confusing place. Uh, God has to know you. Uh, Even the philosopher says if you just look at you, you're never going to know who you are. If you just look at you, you're never going to know what you are. You, You have to stand over this cliff and look down at an ocean of God's love and say, I am going to make a leap of faith here, and I'm going to decide to live as though God actually knows how much I'm worth. And I am going to turn my back on all of the opinions of my worth, And I mean all of them. I don't just mean the world. I mean uh, your friends at the church who you used to be better friends with than than y'all had that little tiff you know about that you're not supposed to talk about that neither of you will really apologize over because after all, just because you go to church doesn't mean you want to be like Jesus. And so you still are pouting around each other and you're still kind of sucking your thumb because neither wants to admit the other person was wrong. You know, you know, man, I'm preaching a lot to this side of the church. Just let it be taken right over here. Okay, I, I want you to see, uh, you know the person who you used to be tied and then uh, something was said and you overheard it and uh, they were fronting and being insecure and you knew they were insecure, you just didn't know they were insecure in that way and you can't forget them, forgive them now. You have to not just take the opinion of the world, you have to take the opinion of church people and you have to leave that behind you too. You have to take the opinion of the world, yes, your boss, your employer, your grades in college, mm, just let it be, let it be. You've got to lay all that aside, and you have got to throw yourself into the ocean of God's love as a leap of faith. Are you hearing me? A leap of faith. And you're not going to do it once or twice. You're going to do it over and over and over and over and over again, and you're going to say, I have value because Jesus said I had value. It's going to feel like a leap of faith. 
It's not going to be easy because your brain is going to say, oh, you're just fooling yourself, as though your brain has an answer too. But your brain doesn't have any more of an answer than the other side of your brain does. Both sides of your brain are confused. The world's confused. The church doesn't even know you. Why? Our job is not to tell you your value. Our job is to point you to Jesus. The church that doesn't point you to Jesus succeeds at creating Pharisee culture but fails at the gospel. we got to point you to Jesus. And so let me tell you who Jesus says you are. And these are five things. These are God's view of me. Now, all this is in your notes. I encourage you to download and put this in your life as something you touch repeatedly as a way of speaking and ministering to your soul. This is God's view of you. Now, we're not talking about the preacher's view of you. The preacher needs Jesus too. We're talking about God's view of you. Number one, are you ready for this? You are completely accepted. You are completely accepted. What what do I mean by that? God's love is not built upon whether or not you deserve it. Let's just settle the issue. You don't deserve it. Let's lay that down, okay? And let's stop that lie that keeps climbing up out of the sea of God's love, scaling the cliff of our insecurities, and then telling us we're not worthy. God knew every dumb thing you were ever going to do before you did it. So quit using dumb things as a reason to give up on God. Yea, behold, I'm a prophet. Thou art not done with thy dumbness. Thou hast much dumbness to come. And God knows about thy dumbness before thou hast dumbified thy dumbness. You could write that down. There's some deep stuff right there. I want you to see God knew about the dumbness. He knew about the Dumbo impersonation before you uh, did the Dumbo impersonation. And he chose you and he loved you and he accepted you. If you miss this, you're going to go to the church so the church can tell you you're good enough. But here's the problem. The church doesn't know your heart. All we can do, like every church that's ever existed, is look at our helpful way of trying to guide people toward a more more sanctified life. This is a good thing. It does not speak to your value. Less of this, more of that, we say, as we should. Less ignorance, more sensibleness, as we should. Less wildness, less living crazy, more prayer, more pursuing God. This is our helpful guide to sanctification. This does not save you. And it does not pronounce value upon you. Because if it does, the moment you fail at church sanctification, you might as well quit. All the church can do is make you feel better about your fake ID. And hope your sins don't go public. Don't you hate it when a sin goes public? You had it all organized and then, wow, it just has to go public like that. The Bible says your sins will find you out. The church cannot pronounce value upon you. What we can do is point you to Jesus. Who does Jesus say you are? Let me tell you, number one, Jesus completely accepts you. He loves you while you are yet in your sins. We read 2 Peter 2. You have been chosen by God himself. Uh, Not only that, he chose us in him, Ephesians 1 and 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, blameless in his sight. How? By his love. Do you see? By his love. He said, he, Titus 3 and 7, uh, tells us how Jesus made us acceptable. 
Verse number seven, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. So number one, you are accepted. Number two, you're not just valuable, you're extremely valuable. I'm not talking about to the church. I'm talking about to God. I'm not talking about to the world. I'm talking about to God. You are, this again, 1 Peter 2 and 9. You are a holy nation of people belonging to God. You are a people, Deuteronomy 7 and 6, holy to the Lord your God, his what? Treasured possession, Isaiah 43 and 4. God says, you are precious to me. You don't have value because the world says you have value. You don't have value because the church says you have value. You have value because God says you are precious to him. He loves you because he views you as a child. He is your father. Luke 12, verse 24, look to the birds. God feeds them, and you are much more valuable to him than any birds. Jesus loved you so much he gave himself for you. Your imperfection for his perfection. Your filthy robes and garments for his righteous robe. He gave his life for you. 1 Corinthians 7 23. You have been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. And finally you are loved by God. Uh, you are not just in the moment loved by God. That's human love. Uh, you are eternally loved. First Peter 2, verse number 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Or Jeremiah 31 and 3. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. Somebody say that with me. With an everlasting love. This is the word of the Lord. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And love isn't just the action of God. Love is the essence of God. Not simply love as doing, but love as being. Psalms 100 verse number 5. God's love is eternal and His faithfulness lasts forever. So, number one, you are accepted. Number two, you are valuable. Number three, you are loved. Here comes number four. God says you're forgiven. Um, it does not matter if people forgive you if God forgives you. Now, I understand it's natural for us to want to make things right. This is not a bad thing. This is part of the, how shall we say, spiritual restitution of soul. Uh, you can apologize for things. They may or may not accept your apology. Uh, that's their decision. Um, but God has forgiven you. First Peter 2.10, we read it. At one time you did not know God's mercy, but now you have received His mercy. Or Romans 8 and 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Music musicians and singers, you can come. It is in God's nature to forgive you. It's not Him gritting His teeth and uh, forcing himself to accept you. You miss the heart of God. 
Uh, it's not him, uh, you know, secretly resenting you and then forgiving you because, well, after all, he said he would do it. You ever say you'd do something and then forget you said it, and then they ask you to do it and you're mad that you ever agreed to do it? Did you hear all that guilty laughter? That was a lot of guilty laughter right there. That is such a human thing. I have told people I would do stuff, and then when they called me and asked me to do it, I said to my wife, honey, why in God's name? Did I agree to do this? There is nothing good that's going to come out of this. Um, I don't have that view of God. He didn't make a mistake by committing to you. He knew all the junk before he got involved with your junk. He knew all the pain before he got involved with your pain, all the error before he got involved in your error. Uh, God forgives you um, not because he has to. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. God forgives you not because he has to. Um, It's more than that. Um, Isaiah 43, verse number 25. I am the God who forgives your sins, and I do this because of who I am. Not because of who you are. (laughs) I am the God that forgives you. And I do this because of who I am. You might as well throw yourself into the sea of God's love. He was always going to try to get you to embrace His love. It's who He is. He was always going to open His arms for a relationship with you. It's who He was. It's who He is, I should say. He was always looking to restore, always looking to uh, renew you. And finally, uh, you're totally forgiven because Christ has already paid for your sins. All of your sins have been nailed to the cross. Ephesians 1 and 7, For by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. By the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. And the fifth reason, or the fifth thing you should know about what God thinks about you, rather than what the world thinks about you. Remember, number one, He says you're accepted. Number two, He says you're valuable. Number three, He says you're loved. Number four, He says you're totally forgiven. Uh, uh, Here's number five. He says you are capable of becoming who He created you to be in Him. He says you're capable of becoming who you were intended to be in Him. It's not as though Christ says, look, you made a mess. You can't help yourself. I'll just clean up after you. It's not what He says. That's pity, not necessarily love. Love is to want the better for the person. Uh, Love says, I'll clean up the mess And I'll see if perhaps you can see I never intended you for this mess. Because if you can see it, you can now begin to offer worship to me with your life. You can begin to follow me as a choice. Not fear. Not law. Not the letter that kills. But a life of worship. A life of choice. A life of service. And so Jesus says, we read it, 1 Peter 2. You are a royal priesthood. You've been chosen for ministry. You've been chosen to make a difference. You've been chosen to represent me and my heart in the world. You have been chosen to tell about the wonderful works of God. The wonderful acts of God. He called you out of darkness into His wonderful life. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. 
verse number five. The capacity. Somebody say the capacity. I want you to notice this word because I started this out by saying God believes you have the capacity to become who he said you can become. God speaks promise over you. God doesn't just shake his head and said, what can you expect from those crazy people? He says, no, I'm investing in you. I'm going to leave you a talent. I'm going to leave you two talents. I'm going to leave you five talents. I'm investing in you. I believe in you. I'm going to leave you here to do what you can with what I have given you. I'm going to leave you here with my wealth in your pocket. (laughs) I'm going to leave you here with my promise upon your face upon your hope, upon your shoulders. My anointing upon your soul. I'm going to leave you here and I'm going to see what you can do. And I'm telling you, you are capable. All right, back to 2 Corinthians 3 and 5. The capacity we have comes from God. It is He who made us capable. Somebody say capable. Somebody say capable. It is He who has made us capable of serving the new covenant God has made you capable you are accepted you are forgiven you are loved you are capable you have everything you need to build a life that does not depend upon the shallow values of the world or the sometimes pretentious values of the religious both of them can end in error error even if both of them were meant well in the world it's a good thing to be successful at your career it's just wrong to think it's everything you need it meant well it's not enough it's a good thing to have status and success and all of that it meant well it's just not enough so it is with the church excellence of life uh, excellence in uh, practical servants, service and having a role of leadership these things are all good they mean well they're not enough somewhere in your life you have to stand on the level ground of Calvary you have to lift up your eyes and you have to throw yourself into the ocean of God's love and you say I have value because you said I had value I have a future because you gave me a future I want to have a good career, and I want to be a part of the worship life of a church. Neither of these things are what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you. I want to have money in the bank and a testimony among the righteous. Neither of these things are enough. I'm looking for you. So if this fails and I have you, I'm okay. If this fails and I have you, I'm okay. Why? I did not throw myself into an ocean of success. I did not throw myself as an act of faith into an ocean of church approval. I threw myself into an ocean of God's love. And it every day feels like an act of faith. It feels like a turning away from my own value system. It feels like an effort to lay aside my value, my my uh, judgmentalism. Lay aside my own solutions uh, and stand in your presence and say, you are enough for me. I choose you. If this is enough, I'm going to end in futility. If this is enough, I'm going to end in fear. But if I choose you, I'm going to end in spiritual fellowship. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to someone here today. 
I want you to see there's so much more than what you've settled for. Would you stand with me all across the house? Several things are going to happen right now. We, we've already had a great day. We baptized people on the 9 a.m. service. I think I'm so, I just want to brag on the church here for a moment. Um, I think this is maybe the fourth or fifth Sunday in a row we've had baptisms here at our church. And I'm so thankful for the people in our church leading people to faith, leading people uh, to Bible study. This, these are not because I'm a great preacher. These are not because I do everything right. That's not where this is coming from. It's coming from real world evangelism. It's coming from small groups. True story. It's coming from Bible studies. It's coming from connection. And if you'll do it in your world, you'll be the people bringing people to repentance, bringing people to spiritual adoption, taking upon the name of Jesus at, at Calvary. I'm so thankful. A lot of good things have happened here today. But here's where we are right now. I'm asking every one of you to ask yourself this question. Has my value came from worldly success or righteous approval? Both of these are in error. My value has to come from the promises of Almighty God. My value has to come from relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to seek to know Him in the good and the bad. I have to seek Him to know Him when I look good, when I look bad. When I have, when I have not. I have to seek to know Him. Sometimes the world will be trying to kill you, Paul says. Sometimes the church will be trying to kill you. I'll be in dangers of friends. I'll be in dangers of enemies. But oh, that I might know Him. several things are going to happen here. I'm going to open this altar. As you know, we are an altar culture church, and that means if you have a need, don't slip out. Um, if, if you can stay where you are, and we'll pray for you at a distance, but if you would like to join your faith with someone specifically as a as a testimony to others, I'd like you, if you're comfortable, to step out of your seat. Bring your need to this altar. Uh, I'll be down here in the front. Some of our other pastors will be down here in the front. We want to speak the name of Jesus over you. Those of you who are, uh, you've already been vaccinated or you're comfortable, uh, I want you to feel free to come forward because we always want to be a church with an anointed altar. Can I have an amen? Uh, but if you're visiting with us today, remember first steps. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, we'd love to spend some time with you. I'm teaching the lesson today. I'd love to uh, have that fellowship with you. But as a church, we're going to pray together. And uh, those of you with needs, please step out. And then our worship team is going to take us deeper. And I believe that the Lord is going to work among us in this house. So church, would you right now focus your minds, focus your hearts. Don't start thinking about where you're going to eat yet. Here just for a moment more. Let's press into the presence of the Lord. Will you do that with me, Lord Jesus? I pray for every individual here in this house. Lord, we're so good at living with a fake ID. We're so good at living with a fake ID. We're so good at, pre at pretense, at pretending everything's okay when it's most definitely not okay. And we're so good at pretending like we're righteous when we haven't been living righteous. Uh, we'll posture for one another, and it's all absurd if you knew the, state, the condition of our heart. Lord Jesus, save us from both follies the folly of the world and the folly of false righteousness and let us pursue a relationship with you God I pray for the person here today who's sick in their body if you're sick in your body here today and you want to come forward right now step out and come forward Lord I want to pray for the person sick in their body here today I want to speak your healing over them by the name of Jesus I want to speak your anointing over them according to your promise and your word let their testimony be powerful and real above everything else God let your name be glorified in their life. Lord, I pray for the person who is in dilemma of spirit. 
and they're struggling with uh, the spirituality of their life. They recognize it, they know it, but they don't necessarily know what to do next. Lord, I pray that you would knock on their heart and they would open to you, oh Lord Jesus, and you would fellowship with them. Let them feel your love upon them. Let, let, you, let them feel the promises of God upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Our worship team's taking us deeper all across the house. Close your eyes. Lift your hands. Lift your voice. Let's enter into the presence of the Lord here today. I want to I say something real quick before we all go a different ways. First of all, it's been a beautiful day. Thank you for worshiping with us. Excited for what God is doing in every life. If I don't know, maybe I'm the only one who feels this way, but if you look back at your life and you you see something you did that was dumb, and even now, when you think about it, you cringe. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, some of you guys are so stinking righteous, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you you just you should have took more chances, I guess. I don't know. But um, I, I have stuff that when I try to explain it to my wife, she like shakes her head. She's like, you need to get something to really be ashamed over. That's just dumb, you know. And then she tells me something and I'm like, you need to get something to be really ashamed over. That's just dumb. But on the inside, we cringe. We cringe, we cringe, we cringe. Couldn't I keep my stinking mouth shut? Why did I have to say that? Why did I have to do that? Okay, here's the reality. You won't know. I, I understand how it feels. I, I don't really have an easy fix for that. I think that's life. You look back at your younger self and you're like, heavenly days. I think of the stuff I did as an evangelist and I think to myself, it's a wonder I didn't get kicked out of the church. There was times I was way too bold as an evangelist, and yet somehow, I don't know how he did it, but God used me anyway. It's the most weird thing ever. Um, now, the first breakthrough I had in that, let's call that like a shame memory. Every time you remember, it brings shame. The breakthrough I had is when I had my son have something he was embarrassed about, and he's trying to tell me what it's it's embarrassing but to me I'll, I'm dad you know I'm like oh son if that's the worst thing you do you got it made <laughs> don't even worry I could not see through his eyes why I loved him he was my son oh I just preached a whole message right there that some of you guys need to get because you have spiritual cringe memories and every time you start to step out, you have this spiritual cringe memory that comes up. And you just, oh, wipe out. No. And now, you try to explain to somebody that loves you. And you know what they're like? Oh, whatever. Don't even care. That's the dumbest thing ever to let stop you. That's how I felt about my son's embarrassment. Because he's my son and I love him. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Whatever. Those people are idiots. Leave it alone. Who cares? They can jump in the lake. You're my son. I love you. And that matters more than how you felt. 
So this is how God, I think, if we take this extension of the Father, spiritual Father in life, I believe there is something here for you to learn. When you are done beating up with yourself, you go to God, and He can't even see your perspective. Because all He can think is, I stink and love you. And that's a dumb reason to quit. That's a dumb reason to hold yourself in that view. That's just dumb. Just stop it already. Quit talking about it. I love you. My love is so much greater than whatever dumb thing you did. Can we just move on? So, here is a word for all of you guys with spiritual cringes in your past. God's love is so much bigger than whatever dumb thing you did that it might be time for us all just to move on. Lord Jesus, I pray for your people. I pray they would arise in new hope. I pray there would be a, a, a spiritual uh, acceptance within them, a calmness as it were, as they lean back upon your promise, as they rest upon your word. Lord Jesus, save us from the toing and froing of trying to figure out who we are and feeling the misery of why this and why that. And let us stand in your promise as an act of worship, as an act of faith, and let us be the people of God, testifying of your goodness, your righteous righteousness, your holiness, your power, your mercy. I'm not enough, but Lord Jesus, you are enough. And I will bless your name forevermore. In Jesus' name. One more time, church. Put your hands together. Give God a hand clap of praise. Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus. You can be dismissed. Remember, first steps right across the parking lot. God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. Victory is yours in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.